Welcome to the Bokoff Podcast. This week, we're going to talk about America's favorite division, the AL East. Today, we have our very special friend, Matt. He's very smart, has beautiful eyes, and he's ready to talk about some Boston Red Sox baseball. As always, we have my colleague, Andrew, and we are very excited to speak with you all today. Hey, everyone. We're going to get right into it, actually. Matt, do you want to say how you came into Red Sox fandom? And then we'll, we'll go ahead and roll through the questions we have for you about the team. Yeah, thanks for having me. Red Sox fandom came like many, I think, sports fandoms do. Middle age came on as a bandwagon fan during the 2002, 2003, 2004 run up to the World Series. Didn't have a baseball team. I'm from Omaha. We don't have anyone really local. Sorry, Royals. So I really got on then and really fell in love since. You know, Big Poppy was definitely the player that, that I attached to throughout my fandom so far. Um, but there's been some really fun guys throughout um, since then. So, yeah, really enjoyed it. It's been a great time to be a Red Sox fan. Kind of glad I got. I didn't have to experience the 80 years before that. And it's been a fun 15, 20 years since then. So, yeah, it's, it's been a good run. Do we do the ins and outs? Should I read them? Is that riveting uh, podcast material? Yeah, just cover the ones you want to. All right. So for the Red Sox, the ins, they signed Kenley Jansen, Jorge Alfaro, Joel Rodriguez, Adam Duvall to play center field, I think. Corey Kluber, Chris Martin, Justin Turner. They traded for Adabilter Amonesi, and they got, we have to talk about this one extensively. They got our boy, our logo, Richard Blyer for Matt Barnes, what, like on Tuesday or Monday? How exciting. They extended Rafael Devers. We'll talk about that extensively. And then the outs, Xander Bogart signs with the Padres because everybody signed with the Padres. Avaldi, Strom, J.D. Martinez, Rich Hill, Tommy Pham, Eric Cosmer. That was funny. Michael Waka and Matt Barnes was in that trade for Richard Blyer. So first question, we alluded to it a little bit here in the ins and outs. What do you make of the choice, in essence, to sign Trevor Story last offseason, trade for Adoboto Mondesi, and not keep Xander Bogarts, a.k.a. what is Bloom's plan for this team? What, what is going on? What's your thoughts on that? last part is tough to answer, honestly. But I think for this situation, I'll start with Xander because I think it all kind of boils down to that. I don't think they had any real faith that they were going to be able to extend him. He's a Boris guy. And I, there's a lot of consternation in Red Sox Nation about, well, why didn't you just extend him in spring training? And I said, he's a Boris client. He's not going to do that. So I think they knew that. I, I think they... We're hoping to re-sign him as a free agent, and then that market got nuts. There's no way he should get that contract. I love Xander to death, but that's pretty crazy. So I, I think they just got priced out, and you know, that's okay. Wish Xander the best. I think Story was always brought in to be a second baseman. I don't think he was really ever viewed as a Xander replacement. I think if you know all hell broke loose and he had to play a shortstop, I think they were hoping that he could do so. But if you look at the deals that got made last year he was really in line with Javi Baez you know Marcus Simeon got an extra year and two million dollars more per year Story got the same war per game as Simeon did 
and had, I think, two extra war or more war in, in 50 less games than Baez. Like, it's he's a contributor. He just needs to stay healthy. And so that goes to the Mondesi piece. I think it's a really great move because if he stays healthy, he's a contributor. I think he's got a lot of pop and he's got speed. He's a, he's a plus defender. So I'm I'm bullish on it. He just needs to stay healthy. And I think that that's going to be the case with a lot of these moves. 2023 for Kyle Bloom, I think it is really a high risk, high reward play. You've got guys like Mondesi that if they hit, they hit. But if they don't, he can come out and say, hey, we knew these guys were high risk. You know, we did the best we could with the market that we had. But, you know, this was our attempt to try to put a, a competitive team on the field and it didn't work out. So I like Mondesi. We gave up nothing to get him. We gave up Josh Taylor, who everyone was clamoring to be DFA the entire winter. So it worked out, I think. And I, I'm pretty bullish on it. Yeah, I think you raise I think you raise a great point. In a vacuum, letting Xander walk for free doesn't look great. But contextually, it's not the worst thing in the world. Like you mentioned, that contract and a lot of the contracts for shortstops over the past couple of years are pretty insane. And he's a couple of years away, but you have Marcelo Meyer not terribly far off. I think the last thing that maybe not the last thing, but certainly a consideration is why sign Xander for eight, nine, 10, 11 years. And then either force Meyer to move, force Xander, one of your highest paid players to move when you already have a third baseman that will get to, you already signed story. You There's only so many positions. Not everyone is the Padres and just going to go all shortstops everywhere. So I think in that mindset, it's not nearly as indefensible. You can just put Xander in uh, left field like they're putting Tatis in left field. Go ahead, man. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I, like I said, I wish Xander all the best. I think he his best years are behind him. And he'll still be a really solid contributor, I think, moving forward. But I was not interested in paying for all those years that I think we know are, are probably not going to be worth the money he's going to get paid. So wish him all the best. He's a great part to, to some of my favorite Red Sox teams, but I think it's time to move on. Speaking of moving on, what are your expectations for Yoshida? Way too high, but they're backed up by the projection systems. I looked at all of them and independently, they've got him at like 130 WRC plus. Like, I don't know if it's going to pan out, but every single one is like, he's going to be a 300 hitter. He's going to hit 15 to 20 home runs. Like if they're all wrong, they're all wrong, but it looks like a pretty good signing coming into the season. He is a bit of a defensive liability, I think, but in Boston playing left field is more of an art than a science. I mean, Manny Ramirez did it for a while. So I I think that it can really work out. He brings a really good OBP lens to a team that I think needs that type of consistency to get on base. So I, I'm pretty excited. I'm very prepared to be disappointed, but everyone seems to think he's he's going to pan out. So we'll see. His swing looks really good. I mean, that's, you know, sweet swing and Japanese players are, are pretty common not to compare him to Ichiro. He's not that level of, of He played for the same team as Ichiro. I'm not saying, it, but I'm just saying he did indeed. So we'll we'll see what happens. These these projections are a little higher than I was expecting them to be, honestly, looking at them now. But I mean, I think that he he adds a different element to the lineup that he gets on base and he can hit lead off, especially depending on what they do with Duran. You know, if they could start him in triple A or I don't know what the plan is there, because it seems like Duval is going to play most of the center field, which that also seems like a little bit of a defensive issue because he's 35 years old, but that's a different conversation, I guess. But I think it's exciting. I'm really fascinated to see how it goes. And I agree with you that the monster is really, you know, especially those 81 games, you can kind of just put him out there and, you know, hope for the best. 
unless it's in left center, just turn around and wait for it to come back to you. Yeah, let it hit the 10. <laughs> or run or run. You just think yeah. oh shit, it's bounced way over to the right. So no, I've seen I've seen some bad defensive players out there. I don't know. I still hold the uh, Johnny Damon Manny Ramirez relay as one of the like foundational baseball memories I have. One of the greatest plays of baseball history. <laughs> if you don't love that, you don't love baseball. <laughs> All right. So our third question here is: I'm wondering your thoughts on the rotation. I'm going to read it, and we can respond. Chris Sale. Corey Kluber, Nick Pavetta, pretty good, James Paxton, and Garrett Whitlock. It seems they have these guys also, Hauk and Brian Bello, who they kind of forced in the majors way too early, in my view, last year. But they have some of these pieces here in place, and I'm just wondering where you feel like it's going to get to. I think it's pretty similar to what you are talking about before with the health stuff. But, yeah, wondering what your thoughts are on that. And, Adam, too, you can chime in. Yeah, 2018 me would have been really excited about this. Like, you've got some heavy hitters there. They're not quite the same pitchers as they they were, though. I think Sales still got it. I'm optimistic that Sales still the strikeout machine um, that he was and, and can be. But, like, Kluber dropped off from a strikeout perspective last year. We haven't seen Paxton really pitch in two years, honestly. So I I don't know. Pitapeta... Turned out a pretty decent season last year, but it was SP4 caliber, SP5 caliber, but he was our SP2, which is, is pretty dangerous to count on, especially with guys like Kluber, Sale, and Paxson, in theory, as your one, two, and three. So again, to like the Mondesi situation, I think that it's him saying, it's, it's kind of Bloom saying, hey, we're ready to move on to some of this, this young core, uh, but we need some bridges to that. What I'm really excited about is that core of, of those three young slingers from the right side, Whitlock, Bellow, and Hauk. I think they're really set up for a prime developmental year to be able to set the foundation for the core of the rotation moving forward. Whitlock was really exciting coming both out of the pen and in the rotation last year. And Bello apparently put on like 20, 30 pounds in the offseason and worked out with Pedro. So I, I think that there's there's some life there. So I think they're going to be awesome. And for 2024, I think they're going to be kind of the top flight of this rotation. But for 2023, I hope we don't have to count on them a lot because that means that those older guys were healthy. Yeah, you pretty much stole what I was going to say. If you go five years ago, this rotation is looking pretty, pretty gnarly. Maybe not Whitlock because he's the baby of the rotation. One thing that sticks out to me just from looking at this chart, I would have lost so much money if you asked me if Chris Sale was older or younger than 34. He seems like one of those guys who's like been in 15 years. He's 37, 38. He's only pitched eight of them because he's always injured. But being 33 going into his age 34 year, that's shocking to me. Yeah, one through four, it's just can they can they take the ball every fifth day? It's a bridge rotation, like you mentioned. The entire roster construction kind of feels kind of how the Rangers were for a couple of years there recently, whereas like we're we're building towards the future. We're trying to as best we can put a competitive roster out there, but not severely inhibit us long-term and allow for our young kids time to develop. So yeah, I, I can, I pretty much echo everything that you said, but just the Chris sale age thing stuck out to me. Rangers and the giants too. I feel like build like yeah. this, but I don't know. You got to get out of the nosedive eventually. Like you got to get out of that rebuild and say, okay, like this is going to be our team moving forward. And I don't think the giants They've really done it. The Rangers are trying to. So I applaud them for, for making that move. But I think that's going to be really what 2023 needs to be for Kyle Bloom is 
all right, this is how we're turning the page. We had this transitionary period where we had to move on from the 2018 team. It's going to take a, a few years for that to wash out, but he, he needs to start moving on. Agreed. And I think I think you have it. You'll reference this later. But I also think these are a lot of guys, both in the position players and in the pitching staff, that if you do get something out of and even with the expanded playoffs, you know, you're not necessarily motivated to sell if you're doing well. But if you get good performance from some of them, those, those are definitely some chips that could be flipped at the day, at the trade deadline to reinforce the uh, the minor league organization. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of minor league organization, which prospect not named Marcella Meyer are you most excited to track through the org? I think Nick York is going to be really exciting. He was a first round draft pick in 2020, 2021. He had a really, really great first year and then kind of stumbled in high A last year. I was kind of concerned. And then he apparently blew the doors off of the Arizona Fall League this, this fall and winter. So I'm really looking to see what he brings to the table in 2023, because I think as we were talking about story earlier, he can be a really nice bridge off of that story contract if it does get to that and we're not looking to move that forward because he does seem to be pretty capable in the middle of infield. He's not a plus defender, but it seems like he can hack it. And um, I think that's going to be a really good fit for um, this team moving forward. I agree on York. He's an interesting bat. I'm looking for the fall league stats. Here we go. Oh, wow. Hit 342, 424, 526. Any three, four, five slash line is great. I don't care what the competition is. Like that's just that is an above this level type of talent. And even though the fall league does often trend more towards offense, that's really encouraging. And if he keeps up something even remotely close to that with this next minor league season, that he's gonna move through pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think they've got a 60, 65 hit tool on him, you know. They've got, he's got 35 uh, right now, so he's got to grow into it. But if he does, that's the type of lines that you can you know potentially see. So again, uh, he's not there yet. Um, and he definitely showed some concerning numbers in 2022, but he's got the stuff, I think. So looking for, for progress in 2023. All right. Before you give us your, what is a successful or unsuccessful season look like? We want to do an over under here on Devers. So I was looking for one that would be interesting and I decided extra base hits would be the best one. Now he had, I think he had 69 last year. So I set the over under at 69 and a half. So what do you take? Definitely taking the over way over was my Boston approach there. He was hurt last year. Um, His first half was insane. I think I got the numbers here. He uh, hit 344, 379, 601. In the first half, he had a weird back injury that had him out for a weekend uh, in early July and then was on the IL for, I think he, it was just a minimum stay, but the, the tail end of July for hamstring injury. And he slugged 388 the, the second half. I mean, it tailed off. He definitely was working through some kind of posterior chain issues um, throughout that second half. So I really think that he is, is set up well for 2023. He is going to get spelled by Justin Turner. I think it was a really smart signing to bring in a veteran third baseman. That's He's going to be the primary DH, but you know, with JD at DH, he wasn't able to come in and, and spell you know, the best hitter on the team. And Rafi's going to need some days off. He's really developed as a defensive asset, but uh, from a low maintenance perspective, I think we're going to put Turner on the hot corner pretty frequently. So I think, an offseason getting healthy, Turner able to spell him a little bit, and Rafi be able to play more DH. I really do think he's going to be at that 75, 80 mark uh, in 2023. I as well am going to go wicked over. 
I think I'll go over two. Yeah, the injury last year, and uh, he definitely was playing a little banged up in the second half, especially as the team started to kind of fall off the face of the earth in like late July, right before the trade deadline. That was a pretty rough time for the team. But uh, we want to go through what you're thinking for next year. So what does a successful 2023 look like for the Red Sox? A successful 2023 is going to involve a wild card berth. I don't think um, any definition of success in Boston would be anything but a playoff berth. So they're going to have to sneak in, but I think you have to get there to be successful. But you can't do it at the expense of your core depth. I think that that's the number one thing that I had issues with in 2022 was our wild approaches at the deadline. If we're looking at the wildcard race in July and saying, hey, I think we can make it, we better just hope and pray. I mean, you can't count on, you know, if, if James Paxson is pitching well, uh, you can't count on him to continue doing so for a full season. So I think expecting any of that to continue past the deadline and betting on that and trading a bunch of assets to try to get there, it'd be a fool's errand. So I think a wildcard berth along with a, deadline building for the future uh, would be a success in 2023. And on the flip side of the coin, what is a failed 2023 for the Boston Red Sox? Yeah, I think it's going to be a repeat of that deadline fiasco from 2022. I don't know what we were doing. We we were either way too optimistic about Xander's market or just ignorant because he should have been moved. There were teams that needed a, an offensive push. He would have been a really good fit for a lot of teams. Same with JD. So I don't know why we didn't move those guys. Um, We stayed above the luxury tax. So if we have that type of kind of confusing deadline, I think a lot of people are going to be very frustrated. The same can be said if some of those guys, Bello, Cassis, um, Hauk, don't develop. If we see a setback from them, I think a lot of people are going to be worried about what the future holds for this team. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember watching the trade deadline and I was, even I, and I'm not, particularly affiliated with the AL East or the Red Sox, even I was like, if you know that that they're going into a rebuilding phase, even if they're trying to reload instead of rebuild, the likelihood of keeping Bogarts, uh, signing him to free agency conservatively is, pro- is still pretty low. And even though he's a rental, I mean, he will get you probably one top 100 guy and maybe a couple fringe guys outside of it. And that goes a long way into building a core for the next contention window. So that was a little confusing from my end as well. Even if you just get like four organizational depth guys and one or two make the big leagues for Zan, you know, a Xander type player, but I think they could have gotten more. Like you were, I kind of agree with the Holly you were suggesting, but they might've been asking for something insane. So that's probably why, but we can't know that for sure. They may have been asking something insane. I think for a player like Bogarts, I don't think he accepts any deal that doesn't include at least one semi-highly thought of prospect. That's, I mean, you can find anyone who will trade you for 15 to 30 or grant guys, not even think about it for a half season of Bogarts, especially if you're competing. So maybe it was a, it was a combination of that the just the, maybe the fact that because he is a Boris guy you weren't necessarily anticipating him resigning wherever he went maybe teams were just a little hesitant to give up prospect capital for a guy that they wouldn't have had for more than three months you know we don't we weren't in those conversations I'm sure in some capacity they were trying but it still is a confusing move in retrospect it made some good deals I mean the Montessi deal was pretty smart I think you know it, even the Hosmer deal you look back on it and be like I 
I don't know what the plan was, but like you got value for almost nothing. So I they made some decent moves. Yeah, and he was essentially free. He he was yeah. tagged along for free. So like whatever. That's that's nothing. Eat salary. You're not you're already over the luxury tax. It doesn't it certainly doesn't help, but it's not going to inhibit, you know, what you're trying to do the next year because they weren't in a position to go out and turn this into an, an AL East contending team in one offseason anyway. Right. So I've we have set the over under at 81 and a half wins. What say you? Taking 82. I'm taking just just the over. I, I did run steamer through and it's got this team at like 3.8 wins better than last year. If you add the additions of Yoshi and you know a healthy sale, you see some development from Cassis. You know, first base was an entire black hole last year. You obviously lose out on um, Xander, and that's a big hit, but you did add some, you, you filled some gaps. So 82, is that good enough to get to um, the postseason? I doubt it, but I think that it'd be progress forward. And like I said, if we see that development from the younger core, I think it'll be called success. So I would be okay with 82. I'm going to take the under, if only because anticipating a sale to stay healthy for an entire season at this point is that's uh, probably not going to happen. I don't like anyone to be hurt um, because I know players on my team get hurt and that makes me sad, but it's the, the trend is concerning, at least on that front. The weird part about sale, all of his injuries are just freak things. And, and that's where, you know, I think some of the, the build around some of these injured guys, like they're just betting on bad injury luck. Now, when does bad injury luck become an injury prone player? There's a very fine line there. And, but some of his, like he fell off a bike, right? Like that was the injury this this winter. So I, I don't know. Chris Dale is one of the most frustrating players in baseball. <laughs> they should just MLB put him in the hyperbaric chamber. Yeah, no MLB players and bikes together in the same place. Yeah, no he, they should just set up some like little studio apartment for him in one of the 13 suites at, at Fenway Park and just let him stay there to mitigate potential injuries. Don't put a whiteboard in there. <laughs> or any scissors and jerseys. This is really hard. I set this and the projections, like Matt said, were 82. So I probably will go 80 or 81. So I'll go under. Our other over under here is 0.5 logical moves at the trade deadline, which great job, Adam. That's really funny. I will start if you don't mind. I'll go over. I'll say that they'll make one, two good trades and one bad trade. How about that? (laughs) I I think it's, I think there's going to be some volume. I think it's going to be three. Good trades, two bad ones is, is going to be my projection. Okay. That's kind of my line of thinking too. I think that just at some point a move is going to be good. We, we already had one with Mondesi. I think that was a solid move. But just carrying over from the trade deadline from last year, if you make enough, one of them is going to be smart. And I don't think that Boom is bad at his job, but I just think it's funny based on the moves from last year. I'm also going to go over. This question just made me laugh, so forgive me. Very good. Uh, I'm calling my shot here. I think they're going to move Verdugo and it's going to be a smart move. And the entire fan base is going to be up in arms because they're going to realize that the Mookie trade was nothing more than just moving on. So I think that they're going to have a smart move and they're going to get derided for it. I think moving Verdugo is a smart move regardless of the return. <laughs> yeah, I like it, but he... <laughs> He he is much more productive on a vibes basis than actual baseball. 
100%. If you're just looking for entertainment, he's your guy. All right, so we're going to move on to the Orioles, affectionately called in my world, the O's. Um, <laughs> the Inns, we have Kyle Gibson, Adam Frazier, Mikel Givens, return. Cole Irvin, which we can talk about. Nomar Mazzara, who signed a minor league deal. The Alts, Jordan Lyles, Rudnett Odor, probably a for- another former Ranger. Which I can confirm because I believe Robinson Chirinos also departed. So. Yes. For years, we always considered the Orioles to be Rangers East, and they st- they brought in uh, Mazzaro, even though he's on a minor league deal. So as at least as of last year, we had Rangers East with the Orioles and then Rangers West with the Padres. So it was, it was pretty fun. Because they have Profar. Profar, they had Mazzara at a time. They had Alfaro. Uh, they had uh, Nick Martinez. They had quite a few out there. Okay, so the first question I have here is I look at their roster – and I see a really well put together young core of big leaguers that they drafted. Adley Rushman, obviously, first rounder. Gunnar Henderson, second rounder in 2019. Kyle Stowers, second rounder in 2019 as well. Austin Hayes, third rounder. Ryan Mountcastle was a first round pick back in 2015. So they just have all these guys. And I think that the the real core, obviously, Santander was a savvy rule five pickup. That was probably the one of the best rule five picks. We can probably do a podcast about the best rule five picks of all time, but he's up there for sure. But the the homegrown guys are Adley Rushman, Gunnar Henderson, who I really like, and and Mountcastle. So just kind of want your thoughts, maybe on the offense as a whole, and especially maybe focusing on those guys. We talked about Adley last week, obviously, but we could talk about the other the other two more extensively if you want. Yeah, absolutely. So in totality, I think this is going to be a very fun and interesting offense. They have a number of guys that I really like. Mullins wasn't quite as good as he was a couple of years ago, but he was still very valuable. I love Adley. We t- like you said, we talked about that last week. We don't need to rehash that so much. I think Gunner's going to be a stud. Santander is awesome. He strikes out a lot, but I mean, that's a, dime, <laughs> that's a dime a dozen these days. Austin Hayes is honestly one of my, one of my favorite hitters in their lineup. Adam Frazier, he hasn't quite replicated anything that he was when he was with the uh, Pirates, but I think that there's a bounce back candidate there. He's never going to hit for much power, but he puts the ball in play. And I think that that's valuable, especially at the bottom of a lineup. Second but, leadoff hitter type, you know? Yeah, turn man. Absolutely. And in, in a weird way, while I don't think that they're going to necessarily be in contention for one of the best, maybe top five offenses in the AL, they're perhaps one of the most consistent one through nine. If you look at... You know, if you just want to stick with slugging percentage, they don't have anyone, at least in the projections, that they think is going to be out of this world insane. But you only have Adam Frazier expected that is anticipated to have a slugging below 400. That's fine. We can we can manage with that. Adley, I think he's going to take another step forward. He's going to continue to show that those elite bat to ball skills that made him uh, such a highly regarded prospect, a, a top pick, you know, generational type talent behind the dish. Assuming some some step forwards or some bounce back years from some guys, I think this is going to be a really, really fun offense. And there's a lot of flexibility in it. You look at even some of the bench, you have James McCann, nothing special, but good enough. He's good for a backup. Jorge Mateo, fast as hell. Love him, you know, coming in defensively. Yeah, a lot. Like he's going to be kind of a fill in like one day he'll be at third, one day he'll be at second. 
Yeah, you know? absolutely. No, without question. Ryan McKenna, I think he's I think I think he's pretty fun and exciting. The offensive numbers don't jump off the page that much, but I think he's an he's another valuable player. It's it's going to be the collection more so than any one individual. I think that Adley and eventually Gunner can be one of those individuals, but it, it's going to be a, a a game to game who's going to be the one to be the quote unquote offensive hero for the team. It's and that potential is there quite frankly, one through nine. And so it's going to be really, really fun and interesting to watch from my perspective. Yeah. It doesn't really feel like there's any easy outs in this lineup, especially because a lot of teams they're, they're, their defensive first catcher is like a bats eighth, bats ninth type of player, but this team has Adley Rushman. So they obviously don't have that problem, but yeah, it's exciting. Um, and I, and I like the direction, especially because everybody's pretty young. Okay. So the second question here is the Cole Irvin trade. What is it signal about their trajectory for this season? Um, well, we could talk about the A's part if you want a little bit, which is just kind of sad at this point. Um, and what do you think is going to happen with Grayson Rodriguez? The projections have him as the fifth starter. I don't know if he'll be starting the season in the majors. He might. I don't know what your take is on that, but we could talk about Cole Irvin first. Yeah. So we we'll touch on it a little bit later, but their pitching is a work in progress. I think there is talent there. I like Cole Irvin. I don't think he's a two. I think he's a three. He's the lower you have him slotted in the rotation, the better. Because while he is a good and effective pitcher, I don't he's he doesn't strike many people out. He he just doesn't. The ball is going to be put in play on him. And with good defense, that can be fine. Orioles defense is getting there. It's it's not the best, but they do have some guys. It's a long way of saying that that is it's a good pickup for the Orioles, but I don't think it's necessarily going to vault their their rotation into being one of the best in the league Kyle Gibson he was good for a couple years with the Rangers wasn't so much when he went to the Phillies when he's your one that's (laughs) often not the best um Bradish yeah Bradish and Kramer hoping for some some forward momentum from there they're still relatively young should be entering in the roughly the prime of their careers now Grayson is a guy who can really turn this rotation around if you get to a point where you're looking at Grayson is your de facto number one Kyle's your two still not great but more palatable Irvin's your three that's you can work a little bit more with that Grayson's been one of my favorites as long as he's been going through the minors he had the injury last year so it was delaying his his call up for you know longer than I was hoping but the dude's an absolute stud he's a he's a gas can he's he is going to be their ace at some point this year whether he is listed as the one or the five or the four or whatever he is going to be their ace and he's going to be their ace assuming health for that for the next five, six, hopefully six years, hopefully longer. So I think if he performs to his abilities, to his his potential and his talent, I think that this very much changes the dynamic of the rotation and makes it decent. And with the offense, like we mentioned, that is good enough to be over 500. They were over 500 last year. So that was a great step forward for them. I I'm bullish on them. I think that they are in contention for 
one of the wildcard spots this year. And there's going to be a lot of things that come into play. There's a lot of other teams that are kind of in the same position, but if they can get some consistency from their starting rotation, I think they're going to be in a really good spot. Yeah. I really like Cole Irvin. Like you were saying, I think he's like a prototypical three, like he slots in right there on a really good team. I think it signals that they are trying to win and that they know that they're in a position to do so once some of these younger guys get a little bit of experience under their belts so they're not rushing it or fast-tracking it, but I think that because they showed a lot of chutzpah last year and were competitive in these games and finished above 500, I think it's exciting and it just kind of builds down the line. Um, do you think he'll start Grayson Rodriguez in the minors and come up in like June or May, or what do you? what's your thought on that? I think that that's probably what's going to happen if I had to guess, but he might have an amazing spring training and come up. It's a would- bit of a it's a It's a bit of a cop-out answer, and I'll admit it going into it. If he shows the electric stuff that he's had so far throughout his professional career, I think he's going to break the season with the club because he had the injury and he did not pitch a ton last year. I could see him working himself back into shape. If he doesn't start the year in the majors, I do not think it would be June. I think it would be at some point in May at the absolute latest, assuming he regains his, his form that he had prior to the injury. And that's another thing that does kind of concern me as well, which maybe they will slow play it because he did have kind of a lost year last year they should absolutely prioritize his arm. And so if that means maybe starting once a week for the first month, for three, four, five innings at a time in AAA, getting that arm strength back, getting back in shape to, you know, for the demands of a of a big league rotation. Yeah, I could see that uh, for sure, because I don't, I haven't seen or read that he's going to be on an innings count, but I would imagine they're probably not dying to have him pitch, you know, 220 in his first year back from injury. Well, I'm just really happy that this is no longer a service time conversation. That is really good and a good change. Good job, everybody. Uh, my third question here is you alluded to this already, and we can talk about it more extensively now. Um, what do you think about the defense? Apparently, they're looking for, this was a reporting from a couple of days ago, a glove first corner guy. I was thinking maybe that means a platoon option with Hayes, maybe some a lefty bat first, and that makes me think, Profar, but what do you think? I think we're just trying to get George to Profar a home here. Both of us. We're just trying to find him a home. He deserves a home. He's a sweet boy. He could be um, our third, third, third host. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> come on home, baby. It's really interesting. First of all, the the field dimensions that they have there are just absolutely atrocious and disgusting. I, yeah. I understand why they wanted to move the fence back. Did they have to do it like that? No. Look how they it's massacred. Cool. Yeah, look how they massacred my boy. I mean, when you look at it conceptually, when you build a lineup in a roster, usually your left fielder is a more of an offensive guy, less of a defensive guy because it's left field. You have the shortest throws of any of the outfielders. You can kind of get away with a bat first guy out there in most cases, assuming that they are just not absolutely atrocious. Kyle Schwarber, what's up? Sheffield played left field for the Mets. But Gary Sheffield could run. He could run though. He stole he stole like twenty bags when he, he was, was forty. He was, he was like thirty eight though. Yeah, okay, yeah, but still, whatever. I mean, it wasn't three ninety. Was it wasn't three ninety to left field. We you know when he was with the Mets, and yeah, and, and and in a in a weird way, it's I feel like their roster is almost going to be flipped 
a little bit where they maybe they put more of a defensive guy with a strong arm in left field and then put more of a bat first guy in right field because it's that's a lot of room out there. And it was already, you know, alluded to or even outright blatantly said that hitting a home run to left field at in Baltimore is like one of the hardest things to do now. And so there's a lot of balls that are no longer going to be 15 rows back are now going to be landing on the warning track. And you're that's a lot of ground to cover. It's like the Coors Field problem. So I think that like Mullins is decent in center. Santander is okay and right. Maybe they have some guys, you know, flip in and out. Maybe there's some sort of rotation, but I, yeah, that's one of the things that does concern me is defensively, especially with some of the pitchers that they have who don't strike out a ton of, a ton of people. There's going to be some, some outs not being made and some runs being scored just because of a, the field dimensions and B the people that they have to cover. Yeah, I think Hayes is really good, and I like that he's in left field. I think that's solid. But I think having another guy, like Nets last year had Travis Jankowski. Now he got hurt towards the beginning of the season. But the idea was for him to be that kind of fourth outfielder. You put him out there in the eighth and ninth inning when it's 3-1 or 5-2, that kind of a game. And he plays two innings of left field or center field, depending. I feel like this team kind of needs that guy. I do like the bench. Other than that, and I think that that if they add that, it adds, you know, something. And I think that it'll be more than maybe it looks like it would be otherwise. Or they could just teach Jorge Mateo to play left field because he's really fast. So the last question here is John Means related. I feel like it goes back to our discussion of the the pitching staff. He was excellent for a couple of years there on a really, really horrendous Orioles teams. He had TJ. He was injured the second start of the season. So my over-under for his return from the surgery is June 1st. What say you, Adam? I'm going to go over just because I think the anticipation is that he's going to start the year on the 60-day DL, which if you consider the start of the year, I think it's like March 30th, but basically April 1, that takes it right to that point. And so then you're going to have some rehab starts, get his strength back, you know, so on and so forth. So I I would bet over just because I don't think that there is a potential or possibility that he will be back before then. But you do raise a good point. If we reach that point of the year and Grayson does what I want him and hope for him to do and I expect for him to do, that sir, that that suddenly turns that rotation into something a little bit different, right? If you have Grayson as your de facto one or Means as your de facto one, even though he's coming back from injury, I know that that is not guaranteed or set in stone. You have Irvin as a solidified three or maybe even a four with Gib- with Gibby somewhere in the top three to kind of split the youth and the and the comeback from injury. That's an interesting rotation. Is it still yeah. is it still great? Probably not, but it's a lot better than what it's looking like right now, and certainly than what it was last year. I feel like this is another team that might go with six starters, and uh, that would be pretty interesting. I could have see, I could see yeah. that. Especially, especially down the stretch. Now, that's a good point because if they're if they're concerned about maybe the workload on on means. Grayson and then obviously hit, uh, means coming back from injury, I could see that. I just don't know who else they would plug in. But the position that they're in, I mean, I I don't think it would be inconceivable for them to go out and get some sort of back end of the rotation piece just to take the ball every fifth day or sixth day. They have a bunch of these guys like that are a little no name. If you're not following the AL East fairly closely, DL Hall, Bruce Zimmerman. Yep. Spencer Watkins, they've all made major league starts and they're all on the 40 man roster. So they can plug and play. And if someone's really struggling, they can always send them down and bring one of these guys up and say, okay, your turn to try it out. 
I yeah, like exactly. That. And and not even that, you can go out and you can find fringe starters anywhere for for not very much to give up. Cool. All right. Shall we move to the race? Absolutely. Yeah, the ins. Zach Eflin, they signed a free agent, extended. They extended Jeffrey Springs, Pete Fairbanks, which we'll talk about, and Yanny Diaz. They re-signed Brandon McKay, who's a two-way player. He's going to start the year in AAA. He's a little recovering from surgery. And the mm-hmm. outs, uh, Corey Kluber, Kevin Kiermeyer, Mike Zanino, Ryan Yarborough, Nick Anderson. They had David Peralta there for a little while. That was funny. And uh, Chris <laughs> Art um, was back and, you know, kind of around. So first question, a little bit big picture here, um, but two guys that I think are really important to their success, just looking at the lineup overall. Do you think they need to see growth from Wander Franco and a bounce back from Randy Rosarena to those height, not the height reached in the playoffs that one year that they made the World Series, but kind of a more consistent approach? Do you think that they need both of those things to happen to win a lot of games this year? Or do you think they're going to piece it together like the Rays always seem to do? I mean, th- this is going to be a consistent theme throughout this entire section. It's the Rays. They're going to win somewhere between probably 80 and 90 games just out of the box like that's what you're gonna get to your question the the performance of wandy and and randy is going to determine whether it's on the 90 side or on the you know closer to the 80 side their pitching is out of control good like and it doesn't make sense really but it's always good it's a not a great ballpark to hit in it's a great ballpark to pitch in they just create good pitching you know out of nothing i hate to give them credit because I feel like their model is the one that a lot of other teams try to try to emulate. And it leads to a lack of, of spending and a, and a lot of interesting situations with free agency and in the past service time manipulation and so on and so forth. But their lineup is not spectacular. Let's be upfront about it. Pretty much from maybe five or six down, it's pretty there there are a lot of outs there i think the talent is there but i i I don't think that obviously the offense is not going to be the strength of their team so for them to be an upper echelon team or to be a a, a, to solidify a playoff spot wander and randy are going to have to one for wander's uh wander's sake he's going to have to take you know another step forward randy is going to have to kind of get back to his heights, maybe not as high as they were in the playoffs, because I mean, hitting what a home run every other game or every game, that's unlikely, even if you're Aaron judge, but they're going to have to scratch out runs. And with their pitching staff, they can get away with scoring three runs in a game, four runs in a game, sometimes even less, but consistently they're going to have to find ways to put runs on the board because regardless of how good your pitching staff is, you can't expect to win 85, 90 games. If you average three and a half runs a game. Yeah, I basically agree with everything you said. I think Wander Franco just needs to really stay healthy and have a full season under his belt in the majors. Agreed. He's only played like 150 games at the major league level so far in his career. So to have a full season of 130 plus games for him would be huge. I don't know where I sit on a Rosarena. I'm of two minds that as a prospect, he was never really considered like, wow, can't miss amazing going to be a star or going to be all-star caliber. So this might just, what he did last year might just be who he is, which is not what they want probably from the guy they expect to hit third in their order. So I'm of two minds on that, but I I am confident or hoping at least that, um, that Franco Franco can, can bring it back up. Second question, it's the Rays, so we have to talk about how they're going to use their bullpen. 
you see the list here on our doc that we share. What do you think about what they did, especially that they signed Fairbanks to an extension and that Andrew Kittredge is out for now? And I'm not sure when he's going to return. Yeah, I mean, same thing, kind of how I started the last question is the Rays. I mean, not only just their bullpen, but their pitching staff. Like Pete Fairbanks, he was part of a pretty much a nothing burger trade with the Rangers. He's now one of the best relievers in baseball. Jeffrey Springs, he was originally drafted by the Rangers. They acquired him. Not much was thought of him. He's, you know, one of the better pitchers in their staff. I mean, I think he's towards the back of their rotation, but he has had incredible production for someone in that spot in the rotation. I'm looking at the list and yeah, it's just some guys, man. It's just some guys that are going to be good. They're going to get outs. They're going to stay involved in games whether they can scratch enough runs to win i mean it's it's such a cop-out again but like it's their raise they'll be good it doesn't matter you know it could have it could have my name on there and somehow i'll walk out of there with 85 innings pitch and a 3.7 era and you know a 1.15 whip like it, it doesn't matter and it's kind of frustrating but also kind of impressive at the same time there's amazing graphics, especially from um, when they made the World Series, about all the different arm angles that the pitchers throw from. And there's great ones with like Ryan Thompson comes from really low. It's not quite like uh, submarine, like Darren O'Day, F, pay respects, he retired. But it's that level of of coming from the side. They had Yarborough, who they let yeah. go didn't really perform in the kind of bulk role that they wanted them to, but all these guys do something a little different. Like some of them get ground balls. Some of them strike out a lot of people. Some of them induce very weak contact. So they just kind of piece it together and figure out how to get people out. And it doesn't even seem like the three batter rule really affected the way that they do things, which is kind of shocking, honestly, but they just kind of, they kind of get it to go. And I think that the Rays um, pitching coach, is is an extremely underrated person. I feel like other pitching coaches get more talk, but he deserves some shine. Yeah, it's the pitching coach and it's also their their development program and development staff. I mean, listen, Yarbrough did not have quite the year that they wanted him to have last year, but he's made at least one All-Star game. And this is a dude who throws across his body, completely sidearm, 58 miles an hour, and he somehow makes it to an all-star game. Like, I know that's not necessarily the end all be all of whether you're a good player, but like, that's just the recurring theme with people who stand on the mound for the Tampa Bay Rays. They figure out something that they can extrapolate into being effective against major league hitters. And they have you lean into that, whether it's arm angle, whether it's a certain pitch, whether it's throwing changeups to lefties, you know, because of the way you throw your changeup, if you throw a crossfire or something, like something that like you traditionally do not throw changeups to lefties, but they figure out a way that because of your arsenal and the talent and the pitches that you throw, they find a way to maximize it. And it's, it's of all the... And there are some negatives that we can say about the Rays as an organization, but of all the positives of the organization, to me, that stands head and shoulders above the rest, how they can, they are so good, especially with pitchers at finding literally anything that you have that can be, okay, we can work with this and we are going to drill in on this aspect of your talent and ability and and turn you into a majorly effective pitcher because of this. It's not taking the totality of the talent and trying to figure it out and trying to harness it into just using that talent. It's within that talent, finding the minute little details that turns maybe a league average or a fringy 
you know, major league roster guy into someone who has a defined role and a defined game plan that can be effective in that role. It's, it's, it's something that is very impressive and something that is one of the main reasons why they're able to remain competitive despite a revolving door of, of talent often, often enough years. Yeah. And I don't think it has to look pretty or wow everybody to be effective and get people out. Right. And they really hone in on people like doing what they are good at and Correct. just exactly. And some guys only throw sliders, like just throw your slider. You don't have to do anything else. Just throw the slider. Exactly. And one thing that, I mean, we haven't necessarily talked about a ton, but one thing that I think is going to be interesting to watch is Tyler Glasnow because he, before he got hurt, man, my dog was dealing was absolutely dealing. And now he's probably, he's not even the best pitcher in the rotation. And somehow they're going to turn Zach Eflin into a two or three war pitcher. Somehow. I just know it's going to happen, like without a doubt in my mind. And so this is going to be a team that is going to win on pitching and scoring just enough. And it can be frustrating, but it's we're going to look up and it's going to be the end of August. And oh, looky there, the Rays are in the first wild card spot and they have their four games out of first place in the AL East. I, why? Who knows? Like you put this, you put all these players in a different organization and they win 74 games. And with the Rays, just because of the of how they're able to make it work for those players, it, they are a perennial divisional or playoff contender. They're never, they're probably not ever going to win a world series. Maybe they may get close. They may have another one like they did in 08 or against the the Dodgers a few years ago, but they're consistently going to be in the conversation. And that alone is commendable for the, the, how they get the most out of their athletes. So you alluded to this already when you're talking about Glasgow, but do you think Shane McClanahan is him? Yeah, I have no reason to not think that. You know what I mean? Like, he hasn't given me a reason not to think that. And without harping on it any more than I already have, what reason do I have to not believe that even if he hits a bump in the road that they wouldn't be able to figure figure it out? Oh, they're starting to see your they're starting to see your changeup better. Okay, well then turn your grip over like this or stop throwing your changeup as much or throw it in a different count or you know pitch backwards or something like that. Like I I trust them to not only I, I trust Shane to be as good as he's shown himself to be and I trust the Rays to be able to continue that effectiveness because that's just what they do. Yeah, I completely agree. He was terrific last year. It seems like he is adaptable and really responds well to the race style of teaching people how to pitch. And I see no reason why he shouldn't continue to be great. And we're going to look up and see, Oh, he's one of the best five to seven pitchers again. Okay. So this hopefully will be a fun exercise. The, our little game here at the end. So it's the raise. So we should expect somebody from AAA to come up and contribute and put up a great season that we didn't even know. So I'm asking you, Adam, and I've picked my person, I'll go second, to pick somebody from their AAA team who will have the highest war in the majors. I picked a position player, but you could pick a pitcher. Good, because I was going to. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that he's not well-known, but Taj Bradley, without question. He is probably going to be up at some point this year. Maybe it's because Glasnow has a, has a setback. Maybe it's because someone gets hurt, you know, 
maybe I'm wrong and they don't have the magic, you know, bean for everyone. And Eflin is marginal at best, but Bradley has been incredible through the minor leagues. And just like any number of guys that they brought up over the past decade, 15 years who are awesome in the minor leagues as pitchers, they come up and assuming they stay healthy, of course, you know, he's going to show up and he's just going to be insane from the moment he he steps foot in the trap. So Taj Bradley is my choice. Like I said, he's not really necessarily a deep cut, but he's a, another example of just their pitching is going to be so good this year. And it's going to be kind of like not to cross sports too much. This is a baseball podcast, but you remember like the, like the old Ravens with uh, Trent Dilfer, the old bucks with, with Brad Johnson, you're just going to have all these pitchers who are just out of their mind. Good. Just looking at the offense, just like, please score like four runs, like just give us four runs one time. Yeah, I agree. So I am going to go with former Dodger Luke Rayleigh. Now I'm doing this for a couple of reasons. He seems very good. I, he played spot duty in LA a couple of years ago and he was playing some right field, some, some first. And I feel like the first base situation for the Rays is a little unsettled. They might yet still address it. I mean, we're here in February 1st and it's the Rays, so they might not, they might go with the platoon that they have now listed here in the dock and go from there. But I really think that that's a position where if someone can hit like 230 and have power, then, you know, they're, they're probably better than what they have now. So I'm going to go with Luke Rayleigh. And then I will give one more bonus pick, uh, Curtis Mead, another one who's not necessarily under the radar, but he's knocking on the doorstep as well. A uh, guy who they got from Philadelphia in a trade a few years ago, consistent consensus, top 100 you know, guy plays third base, second base, first base. He could be another one in that conversation as well. Seems like an extremely raised player that he can <laughs> without question. <laughs> and another, we mentioned him in the section where we read off who returned and who stayed. Um, Brendan McKay, we'll see what happens with that. He's 27 now. If he continues pitching, if he starts just hitting, we'll see what they attempt to do with him. Yeah, okay. the talent, the, the yeah, the talent is there. It's just whether they can whether they can extract that. All right, time for the Jankies. The Jankies, uh, America's favorite team, Dallas Cowboys fans' favorite baseball team. On the inside, we have Tommy Canely, Carlos Rodon, re-signed, Anthony Rizzo, Aaron Judge, some guy you may have heard of. Out, you have Andrew Benintendo, Jamison Tyon, Matt Carpenter, noted Yankee, Chad Green, Aroldis Chapman, Moving on, Miguel Castro. Not a not a huge offseason for the Yankees. Or excuse me, pardon me, the Yankees in terms of bringing in new guys. But they did bring in one of the top pitchers in the class, and they kept their first baseman and obviously the reigning AO MVP. They didn't really need to bring in a whole lot, so that kind of tracks. Got rid of some guys who they weren't too keen on re-signing anyway. I thought they were going to try a little harder for Tyon, but they have plenty of talent in the pitching staff. My first question, it's going to hurt. Are these Jankies fun? I mean, kind of. It, it's hard It's hard for me to, to, to sit here and say, yes, I'm excited to watch this team play. However, they do have a very exciting young core of new up-and-coming players. I mean, Glaber Torres is still in 26. They traded for Bader, who wish I wish he could keep his long hair in, in New York, but he is... For although, you know, maybe being a little overrated, he is very good. 
They have Oswaldo Peraza and uh, Oswaldo Cabrera. So Oswald and Oswaldo, that's not confusing. And they're both, they're both seem like they're going to be very good. So I do like what they've put together here. And I think if we closed our eyes and pretended that they didn't have Diego German and uh, Josh Donaldson, then they'd be a lot more fun, but uh, we'll, we'll say provisionally. Yes. What do you say? Yeah, it's, it's a hard one. Listen, I'm going to be transparent. I do not particularly care about the Yankees. They tormented my team in my childhood. So I have, I am, I wouldn't say predisposed, but I have learned to not like them in almost any capacity. However, if you put this roster in a different uniform, holy shit, this is like one of the most fun teams I've ever seen. And just in just terms of like enjoyment of watching them play, like you mentioned, they have light tower power between Judge and Stanton. They have generally accepted good fun guy anthony rizzo they have some fun young players you already mentioned donaldson we can look past that he's not good anymore so it's not quite as fun to hate him they're pitching yeah you can have the opinion on on cole that he's i don't know kind of a prick maybe or he maybe he tries too hard to be cool sometimes i don't Pitch know my heart it's so painful yeah it's an amazing pitcher so yeah, he's a he's an he's an incredible pitcher and he's fun. And he also and the fun part is that they also add the bonus of whenever they lose, that's also fun too. So like it's like entertainment value galore. As long as they're not beating your own team, it's like either they're doing well and they have something cool that you can watch, or they lose and that's funny. And so I think objectively speaking, I think this is one of the most fun Yankee teams in my lifetime. They don't really have any true irredeemable irredeemably hated like hateable players. Yes, I can hear the argument on Donaldson, but like I said, he's old and he's not that good anymore. So like, it's not, he's not as offensive to me now as he was when he was with the Jays and causing dust up, dust ups left and right. Personally, I kind of like him. If you want me to pull back the curtain a little yeah. bit. Yeah, he's, but he's, he's, he's kind of. The thing with Tim Anderson was rough though. That was a rough look. That, yeah, that was not a good look at all. I, I can't, I can't excuse that, but a lot of other things he kind of has, he's kind of like, for me at least, he's Bryce Harper turned up where Bryce Harper, most of the hate is just because he plays the game hard and he kind of just leans into being hated a little bit, even though he's really like not that hateable at the core. When he was 16, yeah, but if you knew me at 16, we wouldn't be talking right now either. I don't know. Like, I think this is a, an overall a really fun team and one that I'm going to have fun rooting against. In your estimation, what is their biggest weakness? Okay, I know they have Aaron Judge, but hear me out. I think it's the outfield. I don't have any faith in Aaron Hicks staying healthy at all. He seems to get injured all the time. Harrison Bader, like I already said, he's pretty good. He's a good fielder. He's not. He seems to be up and down with the bat. So behind Judge, obviously, general, you know, terrific player. We'll see if he can repeat the heights that he reached last year, which would be amazing. And then behind the three of those guys, Hicks, Bader, and Judge, on the major league roster, unless they're going to play DJ LeMahieu in the outfield, which I don't think that they will. You have Oswaldo Cabrera, who's only 24. And then you drop all the way down to Floreal, who can't seem to figure it out. And then you have all these non-roster and AAA guys, Billy McKinney, Willie Calhoun, who you probably have thoughts on, um, and Rafael Ortega. So I really do think that it's the outfield depth. I'm a little surprised they didn't try to get someone like uh, Tommy Pham or Duvall who just got signed like the last week or so. 
this might be another spot for our, our boy jerks and now now this is a step this is a step too far i'm gonna have to cut you off of the pass here it was <laughs> it was bad enough seeing yvonne pudge rodriguez in pinstripes oh. we can't we, we can't do pro far we that can't happen i mean arguably pudge is probably worse but i mean pro far he's just a sweet little boy he doesn't deserve that look what they did to gallo look what they did to my joey gallo yeah that was pretty bad yeah they broke him the fans hated him so much and you know what i hate the fans so if you're listening to this yankees fan i want you to know that we're not on good terms right now you broke my boy okay they massacred my boy okay what do you think (laughs) Um, you kind of stole my answer in a roundabout way. I was actually not just going to focus on the outfield, although that's part of it. I was actually going to look at the lineup as a whole. This lineup is beatable. Now, is it good? Yes. Are they going to put up numbers? Absolutely. Are they going to hit a lot of home runs? Yep. Are they going to score runs? Yep. If you keep the ball in the park, there are strikeouts up and down this lineup. If you keep the ball in the park, they can be beat by anyone. And we saw it last year in the playoffs. If you keep the ball in the park, this is a much different lineup. And I know that that's a big ask, considering some of the names that they have, especially on the top half of this lineup. But you mentioned it. Trevino, love him, cannot hit for power. Peraza, he's going to be good, but he's still young. Hicks, there's a lot there. Bader, he showed quite a bit whenever he first went, whenever he went over there after the trade. But is he a guy who's going to be a consistent, you know, is he going to hit 20, 25 home runs? Maybe, maybe not. Donaldson, he's already been on the downturn. I'm not really expecting him to bounce back. Stanton, that dude's been, that dude's been hurt so much. He can barely move anymore. He's going to hit his fair share of dingers. But again, a lot of strikeouts there. When he gets going, one of the most terrifying people to face on this planet but Nobody when he's more insane home runs than John Carlos Stanton. Yeah. This dude, he, he, quite literally it's a, it's a howitzer missile. Like this dude hits some of the hardest home runs I've ever seen. Judge hit some hard home runs for sure, but judges are usually up in the air. When, when Stanton's on, he's hitting piss rods 18 feet off the ground that kills someone 30 rows back. Yeah. It's insane. He hit a ball out of Dodger stadium when he was with the Marlins. 100%. Yeah. It's, he in the World Baseball Classic in 2017, he almost took down the the Western Metal Supply Company building by himself with one swing. Rizzo, he's already kind of showed that he. I mean, he's going to have patience. He's going to get on base. Like that's just what he does. That's the type of hitter that he is. Going to get hit by like 35 pitches somehow. Gonna, yeah, he's going to get you know, like you said, 35 HBPs. Is he's he's not probably going to replicate hitting home runs like he did at the start of last year. You know, is he going to hit 30 again? Who knows? But he the average isn't up there anymore like it like it once was. Judge, is he gonna get hit 62 again? Probably not. Torres, good player. You know, like the offense is certified good. Don't get me wrong. But I'm looking at it more in a because let's be honest, over 162, the Yankees are gonna win a lot of games. They're probably gonna make the playoffs. Like they're almost assured to make the playoffs, assuming catastrophe doesn't strike. I'm looking at things in a short-term series that is really the definition of success and failure for the Yankees over three, four, five, six, seven games. This lineup can be kept kind of quiet if you keep the ball in the park. And so will that ultimately be their Achilles heel remains to be seen, but that's the one thing that I'm looking for because quite frankly, I can't find a whole lot of other holes. (laughs) The bullpen. Yeah. 
We'll see about that. But over the course of a year, over 162, I mean, they have the offense. Like, they'll be fine. Like, even if their bullpen blows 30 games, they're still probably going to win 90. You know, so it'll be okay. I actually like the bullpen, especially if everybody stays healthy, because it seemed like literally every single reliever they had last year got hurt. Yeah, definitely true. They have some age, and then I just buy into volatility. Up third, active roster depth. So basically, let's take a quick look at their projected depth, their starting pitching depth, including some injuries, uh, both in the starting and relieving side. What do you think about the depth, assuming they have to fill for any sort of injuries or missed time? Well, Frankie Montes being out to start the year is, is kind of tough. Same with King. He was terrific last year, and then he got hurt. Efros was there for like a week and then got injured, even though he throws from the side. And you think that that kind of arm angle would keep somebody healthy. So it's tough to have those guys sidelined. They do have some some decent options to come in and fill in. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do with Debbie Garcia, if they put him in the rotation. It seemed like they the out expectations for him were outlandish. I mean, people were calling him like baby Pedro, which just seems unfair to do to anybody. Right now he's listed as the long man, which would be interesting to see if they do that or if they go with him in a shorter burst because he's a smaller player and then maybe they build him up next year in 24 we'll see what they do in that regard um i started talking a little bit about the outfield depth i do like some of the people that they have at triple a if their injuries i mean volpe we'll see um he's going to be 22 as the season starts so we'll see what they opt to do there it's going to be interesting to see what his development trajectory is like especially if he starts the year at triple a um, they have some interesting guys that have been in the majors before. They have Jake Bowers. They have some They have some pieces here. Um, I do like you have in the notes here, you have Clark Schmidt. I like him as well. He There was a appearance where their bullpen was like non-existent. They had like three guys that were ready to rock in the subway series against the Mets. And I think Clark Schmidt got the last eight outs against the Mets. He is a, not a very large person, but he clearly has that dog in him. So I don't know if he's going to be a starter at the major league level. Again, he's a smaller person, so we'll see what they opt to do there. I think it can be done. I mean, there have been small, great starting pitchers in the past, but between Schmidt and uh, and Diego Grimond and and Debbie Garcia, I think that they have a fifth starter, especially when Montas is out. So I do like what they have going on. Do you want to talk about the bench? I didn't really touch on the actual like guys that are on the bench other than Cabrera before. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And, and, and I think one of the most interesting guys here is going to be DJ LeMahieu. IKF can play pretty much any position in the infield. When he was with the Rangers, especially in the minor leagues, he was affectionately referred to by some of the scouts as the best fielder in the entire organization. And now I know some Yankees fans got frustrated with him at shortstop last year, but if you put him at third base, he's your best defender at third base. If you put him at second, he's your best defender there. If you put him at short, maybe he's not so much a shortstop anymore. Maybe he just doesn't have the arm, whatever the case may be. They even put him behind the plate for a while too. Like he's that good of an athlete and that good of a defender. He's not much with the bat, but sometimes you pay for defensive replacements. They also have Kyle Higashioka. I mean, and DJ, I really think that DJ is interesting. I don't know if he can still play third base and you want a little bit more of a power profile from your third baseman. But if he still can, that is an interesting one to watch, especially that dynamic between uh, with what may happen, especially if you're talking about Josh Donaldson and what may happen there. We know DJ is going to put the ball in play and we're not sure if donaldson will be able to make contact enough anymore both at his age and with his swing type things slow down as you get older it's a it's a fact of life and his swing plane is so 
unique to him and the reason why he became such a good player to begin with. It's not one that's going to age as your bat speed uh, slows down. And he's 38 now. He's already aged. And so I think DJ is an interesting guy to to watch because I could see him becoming more of a more of a day to day, day by day player, especially at third base, if he can still handle it physically and defensively. All right. What's this next question here? This is this is a fun one. Will the Jankies win the AL East? Unfortunately, I have to say yes. I just think that the the depth, we didn't really talk that much about the rotation other than the depth options. I mean, you got Cole in here. You got Rodon, who is a very interesting signing. I like Severino to bounce back. I think he's got a lot of talent, which means next to Cortez, if he repeats what he did last year as your fourth starter, that's pretty good. Yeah. And I think that the offense will do just enough with the power. Like we did talk about it as top heavy. I do think it's a little top heavy. I just think that they have it in them to, to repeat. What do you say? You're going to go no? I'm going to go no. If only because, and this is unfair, this this implies that things carry over year to year, which I often don't think it does. But the start that they had last year was incredible, unsustainable. The finish to their year was almost horrific until the very end and unsustainable. I think they are somewhere in between. And with that somewhere in between, I think that they are a mid-90s win team. And that's not bad. That's very good. But I think that there's another team that just may be built to best that in their own own division. Good segue. Did you want to ask this other one? Yeah. Um, Over under 52 and a half dongers for Aaron Judge. He had 62 last year. Yep. I feel like he's going to get hurt and hit like 48. So I'll go under. I'll take the over. I think he's going to be in the mid fifties. I don't think he's going to be quite on the same trajectory out of the shoot. He'll get hot and he'll get back to incredible numbers. No problem. I'm not out here to say Aaron judge bad, actually or anything dumb like that. But I just, I think that those years are by and large, incredible outliers and not something to, to bank on. He's already hit 50 once. And so I think that that's something that is not out of the realm of expectation for anyone, but hitting over 60, there's a reason why even in the best offensive environments that has only been done a handful of times. The projections have him for 48. So I feel good about my estimate. There you go. So I guess I'm a little bullish on him and you are reasonable. You are with, uh, you're with Vegas. That's weird. And then the last one is, (laughs) this is a really dumb way of asking this question, but over under three and a half world series wins. Oh, I think that the AL is so deep. I mean, we still have one more team to talk about here that might might best them. And yeah, the Astros still exist and seem to be the Yankees uh, kryptonite. So I'm going to go under. I'm going to go under as well. Like I said, this is a really dumb way of phrasing. Are they going to win the World Series? I don't think they will. It's too much of a crapshoot in October. I think they're definitely going to be there. It's one of the issues that I mentioned, at least my one of the issues that I see potentially creeping up uh, that I mentioned earlier in, in regards to the offense going quiet from time to time, especially once if they can't get the ball out of the, out of the ballpark. As it gets cold, as you play against other great teams and great pitching staffs and you're in other offensive environments, it gets a little harder to hit, you know, four, five, six home runs a game. So I'm going to say, no, they are not going to win the World Series. I will take the under. And that's a, <laughs> a pretty easy bet side because only one team wins. But as we know with the Yankees, Winning the World Series is considered success for them. And so basically I was asking, are we, is this a successful season? And both of us are saying no. Last, but certainly not least, in someone's mind, maybe even first, 
we have the Toronto Blue Jays. On the inside, we have Chad Green, although he'll be hurt for a while. Brandon Belt, former Giant great. Chris Bassett, former Mets great. Kevin Kiermeyer, former Tampa Bay Ray. Dalton Varsho in one of the most interesting trades of the offseason. And then Eric Swanson in another pretty interesting trade as well. On the outside, you have Rymel Tapia, Ross Stripling, Gigum, Bradley Zimmer, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, and Gabriel Moreno, the very, very highly touted catcher that was part of the Dalton Varsho trade. This is going to be a fun one for me personally, because with my team, I did not like the Jays for a couple of years, but I find them to be very, very fun and enjoyable now. So to start us off, let's talk about right center field. What the fuck? The Toronto Blue Jays at Skydome, which is the only name that it should be called, they had a huge renovation, which is good. It looks amazing. It looks incredible. However, they they released their official outfield dimensions this past week, maybe late last week, over the weekend, something like that. And to straightaway right field, they have a little curved area, and it measures 359 feet from home plate. This is not the corner. This is not just off the corner. This is straight away behind or to the right of the right fielder who's facing home at 359 feet. One of the shortest straightaways, I think the shortest straightaway in all of baseball. My question to you, is this a move to have the most unicorn dingers on wooded dong? It might be a move to hit the most home runs in major league history. <laughs> Probably also what you said, the wooded dong account, which we highly recommend you follow. Yes. Um, you know, just to see like where things were. I mean, we talked about the left field in in the Camden Yards. It's the, basically the opposite principle. They moved it yep. back. This one, they moved it in. Would you say what, like 20 feet? What was it before? Do you have that? I don't have that offhand. It was a pretty um, symmetrical outfield before the renovations. And I want to say it was like pretty normal. It was like in like the 370s you know, or right around 370, probably straight away right field. Usually with those fields, City Field actually has, ever since they moved in their fences, they have a pretty short straightaway left field as well. But I think even that's like 375 or 379, something like that. So 359, for reference, the one of the corners at Coors Field is 355. So this is basically the same distance to straightaway right field as it is to one of the foul poles in Coors Field. And so this is like, this is not just short. This is pop-ups getting out of the park, you know, and it's going to be really, really funny. So now in the AL East, you have four of the most unique dimension features in baseball. Actually, if you count All Fenway. All have weird stuff. Yeah, Fenway has four probably by itself, but you have the monster in left, you have pesky pole in right, you have the triangle in center. In Yankee Stadium, you have basically 230 feet to right field, the right field corner. In Baltimore, you have almost 400 feet to straightaway left. And then in Toronto, you have 359 to straightaway right. Like this is, if you like silly ballpark related things, the AL East is, oh, oh, and you have the, um, you have the rings at the trop. If you like stupid ballparks, the AL East is your division. Like that should be the only thing that you watch because something dumb is going to happen probably every game. Also for Canadian fans, it's 109.4 meters. I was looking to see if it was 110 meters or like 115 meters, like if it was a round number in metrics, but <laughs> it's also not a round number in metrics. So I guess they're just trying to hit the most home runs in major league history. 
Yeah, and, and and for additional reference for our our, our American viewers, uh, a standard American football field, including end zones, is three hundred and sixty feet. So this is a foot shorter than an American football field. Wow. So if they wanted to play some dumb bowl game at Rogers Center, they couldn't go out to right. They'd have to go to left. <laughs> it's just slightly too long. Yes. All right. Up next, now that we're past the jokes, can they rely on George Springer to give them 145 games? Well, they moved him off of center. Most likely he's not going to play that much center. They have Kiermaier. They have Varsho. They have other options there that are not necessarily that much younger in, in Kiermaier, but they have him and they have Varsho, who's only 20, going to be 27 towards the beginning of the season. So they have other options in center. I feel like he's not going to play a lot out there. They could probably DH him every so often, play build at first, give give Laddie a day off here and there. So you'll see probably a little bit of that too, get him off his feet. But 145 games is a high mark. I think he'll probably be a little under that, unfortunately. He just seems to get injured. I think he'll be under that too. I think the days of of relying on him outside of a DH role to be an everyday or even semi-everyday player in the term, in the sense of like 140 games or so. I'm not saying he can't, obviously none of us know that, but it's just been so consistent. He's never stayed healthy. He has never stayed healthy. And at some point you just kind of have to learn. You just have to accept the fact that a George Springer year is maybe 120, not 145. And that sucks because when he's healthy, he's an incredible player. He is getting older. He doesn't give you quite the defensive value he once did, that along with all the injuries. But that's I think we're 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 reaching the point to where George Springer is more of a a fun addition when he's healthy, but not someone to okay, we know that we can project X amount of production and value because he's gonna be here, he's gonna play 90% of the defensive innings. I just don't think that that's that's realistic. Also, looking at the way that this roster breaks down, I feel like other than maybe the left side of the infield at short and third, everybody else, I mean, Vladdy's probably going to play the majority of the first base, but it feels like everybody else is going to kind of move around depending on the met and the matchup. I mean, you have Kirk is probably going to catch a lot, probably more than last year, but you have Danny Jansen as well. So you can always DH Kirk and put Jansen at catcher and get them both in the lineup. Varsho, like I was saying, probably more of an emergency catcher type of player now, but he could play left. He could play center. Brandon Bell is probably going to play a little bit of first. He's getting up there in age now, but I feel like it's a very mix and match sort of a lineup sort of construction. It definitely was like that last year. I mean, like Kevin Vigio could play first, second, left. You have a lot of options here. So I feel like Springer, if he's in or out of the lineup, you have other things that can, can move around here. You don't, I mean, you'd love him to be healthy. You don't want him to be injured, but you can kind of work with him being in 120, 130, and not 160, 150. Yep, I agree. There's a lot of flexibility in this roster. Like you mentioned, the left side of the infield, I don't really foresee a lot of need for them to have backup days often. Obviously, as we know, on getaway days, on travel days, you'll see a lot of B and a half teams. I think that this is a really well put together roster outside of a couple players they're all they're still pretty young too. Their oldest players are Springer, Belt, who's primarily going to DH, maybe play first base a little bit. Merrifield, he was an older guy to begin with, and he's staying healthy. He's a good athlete; like he gets hurt from time to time, but he should be okay. And then Kiermaier, Kiermaier's a great athlete too. He got hurt, but he hasn't like he is, is still a good athlete. So I I don't think that there's much to worry about with this roster. I actually think it's a, a a really good roster, one that is very capable and one that potentially may be the best offense in the AL East. What do you think? 
in the division, I think so. It's just, it's it's a little deep. The other teams, like we talked about the Orioles having one and nine. This is really one and nine with Whit Merrifield, who is a former all-world almost kind of player there for when his peak was at the top of his peak and when he was with the Royals. I mean, you have him hitting eighth most days, especially if Dalton Varsho continues to develop. I really feel like that's a big thing. If Boba Shett is already terrific, but if he gets even more consistent, this sky's the limit for a guy like him. Obviously, Vlad Guerrero is junior is is one of the best in the game, you know, potential MVP level of talent. So I feel like if you get a little bit more from everybody besides the superstars here, I think it really can be the best in the division and one of the top five probably in baseball. So what are these I, league, league ranks? Are these me guessing or this is this? No, 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 no. These these ranks are something that, that I wanted to talk about. So last year they were first in in the entire league in both hits and average. They were third in both on base percentage and OPS. And they were, I want to say, I think, I think they were seventh or eighth, but they were definitely top 10 in dingers. Now losing uh, Lourdes Guriel and Teoscar Hernandez is going to hurt, especially from the power side of it. But replacing them with Varsho and then getting Kiermaier to allow them to move a Springer to right field is, I think it was a move that had to, had to have been done. Because I don't think you, you could not have played either of those two in center field. Ryan Beltapia was not a center fielder. You needed, you needed someone to play center field to allow for Springer to move off of it. And so if that allows Springer to stay healthy more often, with what he can give you, if he does give you 140 games, let's say, you know, pie in the sky, like let's be super positive. If he does give you 140 games and Varsho stays healthy and he gives you what he can give you and Kiermaier stays healthy and he's not a tremendous offensive threat, but he's in a much better environment now than he was in Tampa Bay between Vladdy and Bo and Matt Chapman, like Alejandro Kirk, Danny Jansen, whenever he fills in, like you're looking at a great lineup and one that doesn't rely solely on the home run ball to be effective. And so I think they are a little bit more resistant to those cold stretches like we were talking about in the last segment with the Yankees. And because of that, me personally, I do think that they're the, that they're the best offense in the AL East. Argu- arguably, maybe the league, but that relies on some health from Springer. It's going to be a really, really interesting race between the Jays and the Yankees, at least in my opinion, for first place in the AL East, because I think the Jays have the edge offensively and a little bit defensively too. It's going to come down to the pitching, which do they have the pitching to challenge the Yankees? So there's some ifs here. Let's go with four ifs from yours truly. If Alec Manoa is an all-star level pitcher, top 10, top 15 starter next year, that level. If Chris Bassett is as good as he was with the Mets, he's 34 starting the season. If Jordan Romano and Eric Swanson form a lockdown duo in the eighth and the ninth. And if Nate Pearson comes up and is a fifth starter, very good fourth, you know, good fourth starter level of pitcher, because I really think that Jose Barrios, they might have a problem on their hands there. We're paying him a lot of money. And on the road, his ERA is like over seven last year. That's very concerning. I don't know what to think of Yusei Kikuchi. Sometimes he looks great. Sometimes he looks completely lost. Hyunjin Ryu doesn't seem to be able to stay healthy. 
Also, I'm really interested in some of these back-end relievers like Adam Simber that comes from a, a weird angle, Mitch White, who was a starter in the system with the Dodgers who they traded for last last uh, August. And I like Zach Pop too, for, that they got from the Marlins. So I feel like they have a lot of nice pieces here. Is it enough to compete with the Yankees? I think it's really close, but I think it really hinges on, especially the first two things I mentioned, I think Manoa and Bassett, because I feel like we know what Kevin Gosman is. I worry about the other two pieces that are here listed and Ryu coming back and what is he going to be when he comes back? But if um, Bassett is able to be like a third starter and a high quality every fifth day, you know, you're going to get six or seven innings of three run ball. I think that that's all you can ask for from him. And that's what I would come to. I came to expect from him last year as a Mets fan, almost every time, especially he goes really deep into games if you could just hand it right to Swanson and Romano, and maybe if they need to use one of the lefties here, the Mesa, probably. I, I like what they have going here. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad that you pointed I'm glad you pointed out Nate Pearson. There are a couple ifs from my side as well. And you mentioned it. The primary one is Jose Barrios or Barrios, whichever however we want to pronounce that. I don't know what's going on with him. I really don't. I think that their offense is good enough where if he can give you five and a third and four runs or less that will keep them in enough games and they will win that more often than not, especially because he's not slated at the top of the rotation. So he's not going to be facing off with Garrett Cole, you know, ideally whenever he takes the mound, he's going to be taking the mound against other middle of the rotation pieces. I'm very bullish on Manoa. I really like his mentality on the mound. His stuff is not particularly overpowering, overpowering. It's very good. It's not overpowering, but he is an absolute animal on the mound. The one thing that concerns me with him is I know he feels comfortable at this weight. I just always, I always worry about pitchers who are a little heavier and worry about them flaming out, gassing out towards the end of the season. He's a chunky boy. He is a chunky boy. Gausman, I agree with you. Bassett, I agree with you. Tucci, not too worried about that there. Not because I don't, not because I think he's incredible or, or think he sucks, but because his primary job is to give you, is to be competitive at, in the fifth spot. You brought up Nate Pearson, and he was a very highly thought of prospect for a while for them. At some point, they're going to have to find out whether he is a bullpen guy or a starter. It would be a lot nicer for the Blue Jays if he was a starter. But he is a piece that is going to supplement either in the rotation or in the bullpen. Another guy to watch. He's been kind of a fast mover. Ricky Tiedemann. He's going to be in double A to start the year. He's been great so far in his pro career. I think if he continues on the trajectory that he's on, there is a chance that he could make a late season appearance as a, as a reliever, maybe a spot starter, maybe does the map more like, like how he did with the Rays. In that bullpen. If he, yeah. For it. Yeah, he. I think he can be something dynamic. Ryu and Chad Green, they're they're hurt. They may not be back till they may not be back at all this year. But if they do come back, it'll be closer to the end of the year. So a lot of the guys that we're naming outside of Pearson probably aren't going to be super valuable for the length of the season of the one sixty two, which is kind of the the prompt of this question. However, I think that their offense is good enough where if they can just get if they can just get competitive starts from uh, Jose and Kikuchi. They have the juice, especially offensively and especially in that environment to where they can win the AL East. It really behooves them to have like three or four years of being an excellent team because, oh boy, is this farm system not very good. <laughs> oh, it's very not good. Like like you said, the good thing is that they have Pearson and Tiedemann coming soon. 
Tiedemann's awesome. So he's going to be in the rotation for a while. Kirsten, we'll see. Beyond that, they have Gausman, Bassett, and Kikuchi in their 30s. Jose, I have no idea what he's going to be in two or three years. Uh, and then on the offensive side, they are mostly young. So they are set to be competitive for a few years at, at the very least, which to your point is definitely good because there's not a ton of juice in their farm system, especially because they traded away. I think he was ranked as either the top or top two, top three prospects across most publications. So in yeah, Gabriel Moreno. Yeah. And so because of the offense, that's why I'm giving them the edge. They're going to have to pitch at some point, but throughout the regular season, you can often get away more often than not with maybe less than stellar pitching. If you have an incredible offense, just because every team's not pitching like it's game seven, right? Like there are a lot of games eight to seven. Yeah. And that's fine. And that's fine because there's going to be a lot of times where maybe the, the Jays put up five runs through three and then, you know, the other starters like, Hey, let's just try to get, let's try to save the bullpen. And they put up another couple, maybe Jose gives up five, but it's seven to five going into the back of the bullpen. You know, there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of games like that. where in the playoffs. If you have a starter that gives up five through three, that's not night's over. That's it. You know what I mean? So we'll see about that. Moving into the over-under questions, they hit, I believe whenever I checked, I'm going based on memory right now, they hit 198 dingers last year, over-under 204.5 this year. What's the record by the Twins? I will go over. Over? All right. I'm going to go over as well. Over-under half of a division championship in 2023. Will they win the division? I say over. They will. I say under Yankees by one game. Okay, so now that we've done all the teams, let's guess the final standings. You, We will get five points for first, four for second, and so on. Adam, do you want to go first? I'm going to go Toronto, New York, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, and then bringing up the rear, I'm going to have Boston. Matthew, you want to go? Yeah, I think I'll go Toronto, Tampa Bay, New York, Boston, Baltimore. I think Baltimore's got the bats. I think their pitching staff is still abysmal. I don't I don't disagree at all. I'm just I'm going on vibes. They're they're so fun to me. They cannot pitch worth a shit, but <laughs> they just seem so fun. I do appreciate the hater putting New York third. I my big claim last year was that the Yankees would miss the playoffs. And if they didn't play like 800 ball for two months, it was going to happen. But unfortunately, they got off to like 60 and 18 or something wild. Okay, so I'm going to go New York, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Baltimore, and Boston. The Boston yeah. disrespect. I know. Here. We're, we're going to get some point separation on this one. Mel Tucker would be proud. <laughs> And with that, Matt, we want to thank you so much for joining us this week. Pleasure as always. It was a blast staring at you through a computer screen. I appreciated the insight from your dog at various points. Hope you have a wonderful year rooting for good moves from Boom at the trade deadline and hopefully some forward momentum for oft injured players and some young players. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Uh, Koji, name for Koji Urahara. I was very happy to contribute as well. So uh thanks for having me and yeah all right folks we want to thank matt again for being here today and uh we really hope you enjoyed our our show here and uh yeah we're really excited about the al east i think it's going to be a really exciting division it'll be a really fun time and uh we're good to go